and welcome to another episode of Health Shift, my podcast that bridges the gap between conventional modalities and ancient healing for a complete mind, body, and spirit well-being. By seeking out the best of both worlds, we have a greater opportunity for healing and wholeness. And please note that these discussions are not medical advice and nor should they be used in place of medical assessment and treatment. So let's get started. Today, I'd like to welcome Dr. Dave Shirazi. In 2000, Dr. Dave Shirazi rang in the new millennium by graduating from Howard University College of Dentistry in Washington, DC. He went on to earn a master's degree in Oriental Medicine from Samra University in 2006. And then in 2007, he received the prestigious fellowship award from the, medical, yeah, the American Academy of Craniofacial Pain, an organization dedicated in the diagnosis and treatment of craniofacial pain and sleep breathing disorders. Boy, are we gonna have a lot to talk about today. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Shirazi has completed over 2000 hours of, of continuing education in TMD and facial pain, craniomandibular joint orthopedics and sleep disordered breathing. He lectures on those very subjects throughout the United States. His practice is part of the TMJ and Sleep Therapy Center International Family, joining the ranks of over 65 global centers. Wow, that's an impressive CV, and I know I could go on for even more, but welcome, Dr. Shirazi. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's exciting to be here to talk to you about these subjects. Yes, I'm so excited. So so tell us your story, how you got here today from traditional dentistry to the really exciting and important work that you're doing. Oh, thank you. Well, I guess you could say, so everyone in my family is a doctor or dentist, right? So I, I was not one of those people that put them on a pedestal. It's like, no, that's my cousin, you know? <laughs> so I just talk to them like I would regular people. I remember being um, 18 and I had a cold and um you know, my mom being a neurotic Jewish mother and a dentist, she's like, oh, go to the doctor, go to the doctor. So I go to Kaiser here in Woodland Hills. And it's the waiting room is full of like 20, 30 people hacking and coughing. And I wasn't that sick. So I left. I wasn't going to wait. So I left. I came back an hour later. They brought me in and they gave me antibiotics. And I said, so I had known the term rhinovirus and rhino means nose. Mm -hmm. So I said, um, if this is a virus, uh, isn't it? In my, if, I said, if it's in my nose, isn't it a virus? And the doctor said, yeah. I said, well, then why are you giving me an antibiotic for a virus? And he goes, well, the antibiotic will work on the microbes in your immune in your body so that your immune system can focus on the virus. I said, okay, I didn't know any different. I told my mom and she's, you know, she's in that genre. She still is mm -hmm. of you do whatever the doctor says without question yeah. sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I took it, I got better, but being a bit of a nerd, as you can probably tell from my CD, I went to the library. This is before, this is pre-internet, right? I went to the library and even in 1991, we know that you don't prescribe antibiotics for viral infections um, because you can, it could one, not work and two, your body can develop a resistance to it. Mm -hmm. So right then and there, I was like, okay, I, I had known I wanted to be a dentist since I was 14. I was watching my mom, but it was around that age. I decided that when I'm done with dental school, I want to learn something more holistic so that when I uh, have my own family, I can treat them more holistically. Cause I mean, let's face it. 
antibiotics and steroids for everything is not the solution. It's really for emergency care only. So that was it. So I went into dental school with that kind of open mind. And I was a dental assistant for eight years before I went to dental school. And then I graduated in 2000, took my boards. And then January 2nd of 2001, I was in uh, my master's program in, in Chinese medicine. Wow, that is really, really impressive. And did you find any obstacles that got in your way in terms of really kind of bridging uh, holistic health with more of the traditional medicine route? Well, for me, it was exciting to learn how the two work together. Yeah. The, the challenges I really had were closed-minded people, if you want to call them that. Like, mm-hmm. like my favorite uncle was so disappointed that I went, <laughs> went into Chinese medicine. He was hoping I'd be an oral surgeon or orthodontist or something like that. He was just like, well, at least you'll sell herbs and make money. I'm like, dude, I- <laughs> 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 he, he was just, he was very conventional. Um, and other doctors, um, when I talk about something, I don't even consider it holistic. I just consider it factual and within nature. Sure. Whenever I would bring that up, they, you know, would say, oh, is that your dental side or your oriental medicine side? You know, kind of sarcastically. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't think we're treating two different species. They're all the same person, right? right I go, right. the same yeah. laws apply, you know? It's just your methodology that's different. So, I mean, closed-minded people are going to be closed-minded people. And, you know, you demonstrate to them if they ask for evidence, there's plenty of evidence. I, I had an online discussion that I was very embarrassed that the guy was a dentist. And he was against, I think it was cupping. Mm-hmm. And I gave him a meta-analysis that had 500 literature citations, wow. right? Yeah. And I gave it to him and he was still like skeptical. And, and I said, okay, please tell me you're not a dentist. <laughs> please tell me you're just a dental assistant that's just a skeptic. Because if you're a dentist, I'm embarrassed to call myself a dentist, right? I go, if, you're, if you want to say you're skeptical, okay, don't do it yourself, you know, whatever. It doesn't have any negative side effects other than some bruising. Mm-hmm. And there are some potential benefits to be had, okay? Mm-hmm. If you don't want to do it, go on with your life, okay? But if there's evidence that shows that it helps people, you need to shut the hell up and let mm-hmm. those of us that know that it works get on with what we do. Sure. Right. Sure. So that's really been the only thing is just conventional thinking. I've I, <laughs> I'm very uh, free in my speech. I have uh, <laughs> it's very hard for me to hold my tongue sometimes. And I was in a conference um, a year and a half ago, and the one as the one subspecialty of dentistry that seems to be the most recalcitrant to change among all of them is the field of orthodontics. Mm -hmm. And there's a lovely guy, I forgot if he's the head of of Boston or Howard, I'm sorry, Harvard uh, orthodontic, you know, uh, residency. And I asked him, I go, I'm sorry, I'm going to ask you a very political question. It was at a conference. He goes, yeah. And he remembered, we see each other. There's very few people that go to these conferences relative. There's 250,000 dentists. And, you know, those that love general dentistry, you know, go to the general dentistry conferences. Those that love pain and sleep, go to the pain and sleep conferences. So we kind of all know each other, really. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been doing this over 20 years. So, you know, you run into each other. So he recognized me right away. And I said, forgive me, it's a political question. I go, but how much longer do we have to wait? for the people in charge to die or retire so new paradigms can be accepted and implemented. 
right? And the whole room was kind of laughing because they know me, yeah, but yeah, he yeah. was just the poor guy. He was just like, <sighs> right? Because his direct bosses are those people, sure. right? Sure. And, and he's like, all I can say is that paradigms take a long time to change, mm-hmm. but we're hiring newer and younger people, obviously, all the time. Sure. So for us, it can't happen uh, enough. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I find it takes about 20. To, I just had this conversation with one of my patients. She said, well, how come my doctor doesn't know this? And I said, it takes about a good 20 to 25 years mm-hmm. for, for information to really change. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what's going on even in like cardiovascular health or gut health or whatever, in the traditional sense, they're yeah. still looking at all the old stuff and, and not yeah. the new stuff. So I yeah. always find myself, um, because I was traditionally trained as a registered dietitian, I did my grad work in counseling and psych, and then I went into, you. To, you know, study functional medicine, integrative medicine and yoga and Beautiful. all of that. Um, but uh, I, I try to be the bridge and really enroll my conventional colleagues and buddies. And I'm originally from Boston, so I know very conventional medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, You're not kidding. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I really try to enroll them in the process by, by sort of helping to educate them on a little bit and also yeah. include them. You know, it's always, dear Dr. So-and-so, if you agree, I'd like to do X, Y, Z, and these are my reasons why. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, part of it is that some people will always remain closed-minded, but there's a lot of people that will be willing to be open-minded. Yeah. Yeah. And I love those people. I love yeah. those people that are like, I've never heard of this, but I'd like to know more. Sure. And those people are my favorite people. I'd love to just give them all my information. And like, yeah, I'm also a clinical researcher. So I have usually data that I can support my methodology with. And I love to share that with, with, with people. Yeah. I really do. Yeah, so I'm glad you do that. One thing I want to ask you now that I know your background is, have you read the book Nutrition and Physical Degeneration by Weston Price? I haven't, but I'm familiar with Weston oh. Price's work. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a big one for uh-huh. uh, for nutritionists to learn. I think it's huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do work a, a lot of work in that whole area of, of of helping to really look at functional labs. I always try to use uh, conventional labs first because they're covered by insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's nice to actually have that additional background to understand how to interpret a functional lab if you need to do a, a deeper dive or a dig. You know, mm-hmm. dig deeper. So. Yeah, so I good. am super excited about hearing your particular specialty with sleep and pain and all of that. Cause I oftentimes get a lot of referrals in that arena as well. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. tell us, tell us about sleep. <laughs> okay. Well, is there a specific thing you'd like to, to know about? Cause it's a huge subject. <laughs> it is a huge topic. Yes, yes, yes. So if someone comes in and they are having um, sleep issues, where, where are you first going with them? What are you looking at? Well, how, so, are you, how are you assessing them? So predominantly, uh, people see me for snoring and sleep apnea, both mm-hmm. in adults and children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's what they're coming to see me for. So obviously, the first thing we want is a sleep study, either in lab or in home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very open. You know, I have my own sleep lab that I do research studies with. So, and of course we do in-home studies. So I tell patients about the ben- the pros and cons of each, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Because the in-lab study, though it gives us the best data, like we're talking over 20 leads, direct supervision by a sleep technologist. It's just great. And video camera, like it's fantastic. Sure. Um, however, it's not a normal night's sleep. 
right? right? So if you're the kind of person that when you go to a hotel like me and uh, you don't get a normal night's sleep that first couple of nights, you're probably not going to get a normal night's sleep in an in-lab study, right? Sure. Even though like if you're doing what's called a CPAP titration, mm-hmm. nah, you don't have a choice. You have to do it in a lab pretty much, sure. okay? But if you're one of those people that don't sleep well in a hotel, you should probably have an in-lab in-home study mm-hmm. because if we're trying to see if you have snoring or apnea, it's better to see what it's like in your own home environment, right? But again, if you're one of those people, like my wife, I always joke, she can drink two cups of coffee and then sleep on a bed of nails on her face. Like she can sleep, <laughs> okay? Um, she And we did while she was pregnant with our son. Um, we did a full in-lab study. She slept brilliantly she had no problem sleeping you know? wow. um so it's 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 like that yeah. yeah yeah so that's the first thing and then um we take what's called a cone beam ct scan mm-hmm. and so we can see if they have nasal blockages nasal valve constrictions adenoidal tonsillar constrictions and large tongues and you know inferior uh you know pharyngeal space that's um been compromised because though an x-ray will not tell you if a person has apnea or not, or if they do, how frequently they have it, Mm -hmm. because the frequency makes the biggest difference. Everyone has a little bit of apnea. It's how much of it you have. That's the challenge. Okay. Um, But it gives us an idea of like, if that's what you look like sitting up while wide awake, what must you look like when you're on your back in REM sleep, right? That's, That's the kind of mindset we have. And then once we have it, we can then take a look and say, okay, well, here are your options. This is what we can do to help you along. Mm -hmm. And then most people come see me because they want an oral appliance. They tried a CPAP. They didn't like it so much. Not that it doesn't work. CPAP works. It's just the user interface turns people off. Sure. Right. It can be uncomfortable. Yeah. It can be uncomfortable. It can make noise. It can dry out your mouth. It can even cause another kind of sleep apnea called central sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. So there are pros and there are cons to it. The other thing, what's going on lately is that people are becoming more aware of it, is you understand how it works. It's a little compressor and it blows air typically up the nose to inflate the throat and tongue space open. That's Mm -hmm. how it works. And then when you breathe, you're just breathing against the, the pressure. Okay. Okay. It's not breathing for you. It's not like a ventilator. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just like a positive airway device that opens up your throat. The problem is that it sucks up air that's in the room and shoves it up your nose. Mm -hmm. So in this time that everyone Mm -hmm. is, is ultra cautious of upper airway (laughs) infectious viruses, it becomes a problem. And before uh, the knowledge of COVID uh, it was known that if you had like, a flu in your nose and you put on a CPAP, it could potentially blow it down into your lung, right? So there's, there are pros and cons. There are pros and cons. And if you're sick, if you have a stuffy nose, you basically can't even wear it because it's, if your nose is stuffed up, it's not going to do anything. Right. Mm -hmm. So there there are definitely uh, appropriate measures for using an oral appliance for, for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, that actually makes really good sense. Um, mm-hmm. And it's interesting for many, many years, I've been on to sleep apnea for a lot of years, even before it was sort of a, a major thing. Fashionable. Uh-huh. And, I, and, and I would oftentimes say, you know, have you ever uh, had a deviated septum? Mm-hmm. 
You know, and, and that's also another area where, you know, people would say, geez, I did have that back in the day, or let me go check with the ENT or whatever, because that's another, you know, another possibility in terms of the, uh, the apnea piece. Yeah. It's true. And more frequently than the deviated septum is we're finding enlarged turbinates. Mm -hmm. And something that people unfortunately don't look at enough is the nasal valves, the internal and external nasal valve. That's our bottleneck that brings the air into our nose. And I have to say, in my, I mean, obviously I'm very skewed because I see pain in sleep patients, sure. but in the population that I see, we see very, the majority of my patients, over 50% have very constricted nasal valves. And that was the thing, like they go in to, for a balloon sinoplasty or a deviated septum correction because they can't breathe well. Mm -hmm. And they come out of the surgery and they're like, I, can't, I feel the same. And then I'll put in what's called the nasal valve dilator Mm -hmm. opens up their breathing. They're like, this is what I wanted to feel, right? Mm -hmm. And I go, well, you're in luck. It's a very easy procedure for your ENT to do to recapture this with this, uh, this you know, removable device. So, uh, so yeah, so that's something I think then warrants its own attention over the deviated septums. Interesting, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And of course, with apnea, you know, there's such a huge correlation with metabolic syndrome and type 2 diabetes and all Absolutely. of that. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's wonderful to really kind of capture that, take care of it in a, in a reasonable way. And I love what you're talking about as opposed to even the CPAP machine, because I have so many patients who have been non-compliant, just more out of the uh, discomfort, you know, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Very common. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, as you said, we, we see there are probably, last time I checked, there was hundreds of studies on both CPAP and oral appliance use in the resolution of type two diabetes, hypertension and depression anxiety. Oh my God, you're gonna to have to send me some of those studies. Oh, yes. just email me exactly blast, what you want, will, I'll send it over. I will blast that for sure. <laughs> Absolutely, my favorite study yeah. was uh, one by JAMA where they researched 1400 patients aged 30 to 60 Mm -hmm. And they gave them a Zung's depression scale where they asked them, how depressed are you? Ranging from not at all to, you know, I have sad thoughts from time to time, all the way to I contemplate suicide every day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they did sleep studies on them. And the severity of their depression mm -hmm. and their severity of their apnea were one to one. Sure. sure. You know, so which is not surprising because the literature is shifting now from depression and anxiety being a chemical imbalance to being more of an inflammatory process going on in the brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem with sleep apnea is the systemic inflammation that it induces. And the inflammation itself actually makes the blood brain barrier more permeable. Mm -hmm. So then if you have, God forbid, like a very um, gluten rich meal, for example, and you have leaky gut and it gets out, and then on top of it, you have sleep apnea. You know, obesity is one of the known mm -hmm. correlations with sleep apnea. Well, now all these inflammatory markers can now make it into your brain potentially. Sure. Right. And then the other thing, the other compounding cycle of this is we only found out about five, 10 years ago, probably 10 years ago, that the brain has a lymphatic system they call the glymphatic system. Yes. And yes. it's during REM mm -hmm. that it's working. Right. 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 But if you have what we call an arousal, mm -hmm. 
that can happen from snoring and an apneic event, your spouse's snoring and apneic events, a noisy neighbor's dog, you know, all of these things. If you have these things, it kicks you out of the REM sleep. Right. So you don't, you don't feel rested, but for a good reason, you don't feel rested. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the issue compounds itself. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. You know, it really comes back to that we cannot uh, divorce or separate structure and function. That's right. Yeah, they go together. Yeah. That's go why, together, for sure. That's why I was so enamored that you understand the importance of breastfeeding when I, it can be done. Yes, 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 yes. So please talk mm-hmm. to us more about that. I had that on my list of our. Oh, we got to chat about this for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So when we look at skulls prior to the Industrial Revolution, mm-hmm. we see nice wide arches, nice wide noses on the inside, and relatively small maxillary sinuses. And they have nicely developed jaws, right? And what do we know about them? Well, there was no processed food. Mm-hmm. They breastfed for three to five years. Mm-hmm. As soon as the child, not as soon, almost as soon as the child had teeth, they started chewing hard food. Mm-hmm. You follow? Right. And so the, the activation of those muscles gets the bones to move. Now, when I say these teeth were straight and they had wide arches, I mean, they had a quarter inch of space behind each wisdom tooth. So they almost had enough space for another wisdom tooth. Wow. Okay. And now here we are in the 2000s where almost 100% of the population needs their wisdom teeth out because there's not enough room for them. And we know evolution doesn't work that fast. (laughs) Oh my God, that is so fascinating. Yes, yeah. it makes good sense, sure. Yeah, and we know part of it is because the way we swallow, we're supposed to put the tip of our tongue on the incisive papilla, which is that spot of our palate when we say the letter N as in Nancy, yeah? And we're supposed to swallow like this. And as we do, the bones, the palate develops to the shape of the tongue, right? And the palate is the floor of the nose. So the nose, which is like a pyramid, now ends up becoming wider and being able to breathe better. Uh Yeah, because that's the floor of the pyramid. Um, But instead we, you know, Western culture, we have bottle feeding, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you put in this artificial nipple that holds the tongue down most of the time. And then now the child, in order to get the milk must suck like this with their buccinators, which then narrows the maxilla and makes the arch much higher, Hmm. right? So for example, our septum, like you talked about, Mm -hmm. is the vomer and it goes from the palate to the ethmoid bones up on top, yeah? Mm -hmm. So guess what? All of these uh, skulls prior to the industrial revolution did not have deviated septums, right? Uh-huh. But with the one, when our palates have a, are narrow and have a high arch, there's only so much real estate between the top of the palate to the bottom of the ethmoid. So the arch has to, the, 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 I'm sorry, the septum has to deviate in order to fit, right? And those of us that do what we call functional orthodontics, we've seen many times where we expand the palate and we correct a deviated septum but it was a physician out in Australia that actually did it. Like a physician, um, um, embarrassingly, again, orthodontists with old paradigms didn't do it, Uh okay? Uh Um, They went to, they took adult patients 
and expanded their palate and corrected deviated septums. Wow. Yeah. That is just fascinating. It is. It is. Yeah. So another reason why we need to, uh, again, get away from processed foods, really mm -hmm. encourage back, you know, back to breastfeeding, back to nature in terms of the yeah. way that we are eating. Whenever you can, of course. I mean, my mm -hmm. wife breastfed for almost two years mm -hmm. and my sister could only do it a few months. She had a breast infection, right? Mm -hmm. And she felt horrible about it, but you know, it, you can't judge. It's like you did the best you could do given sure. the circumstances, you sure. know? Sure, absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yes. So the other, uh, the other arena that is so um, important is pain management. So tell me a little mm. bit about your pain, your pain folks, what kind of pain do they come in with? Um, how are you assessing them and treating them? Wonderful question. So we treat obviously TMJ disorders, mm -hmm. but often with TMJ disorders, we see facial pain, migraine, tension type headaches, neck pain, shoulder pain, um, and the litany goes on. Mm -hmm. um, one of the ways we assess our patients is uh, before the show, you and I were talking about central sensitization, right? right? So central sensitization is basically when you've had chronic pain mm -hmm. and you haven't addressed it and the brain goes through physical plastic changes and either makes parts of your body hurt that have no problem with it or malfunction. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, all migraines are centrally sensitized trigeminal disorders, right? And they are a dysfunction of the nerves that supply the blood vessels, right? So they open and contract, open and contract in an uh, abnormal way. So the amount of studies, um, most of them are case studies uh, of someone with migraine being treated with um, TMJ therapy and then having resolution of their migraines again is in the hundreds. It's 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 mm -hmm. massive, but there is no there's no money in it for someone to do like a large study, right? And what's interesting is I've had patients that have very obvious menstrual migraines, meaning they get the migraine right before their period, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And obvious, you know, you and but they also have a TMJ problem. Right. Mm -hmm. And we resolve that knock on wood. We resolve their TMJ problem and their menstrual migraines goes away. Right. Mm -hmm. But we didn't do anything to their hormones at all. Sure. Right. And but what did we do? This this bucket that is full of centrally sensitized nerves was now reduced. Right. And there was an adaptation. Yeah. So it could be many things as we talk, talked about. It could be the jaw. It could be the nose. It could be the neck. It could be your hormones. Um, it could even be emotional challenges as well that can lead to migraines, usually tip, uh, feelings of overwhelm mm -hmm. is what, what we saw. So a very, a, you know, I have no problem saying it. He was a certifiable genius. Uh, Dr. John Beck was an orthopedic surgeon. And the research, by the way, on central sensitization came back in way back in, in 1989, right? But he had the genius to understand what was going on. This is a guy that got a master's in neonatal and zoology for fun. Okay. <laughs> you know, that, that's what I'm talking about. Um, neonatal and zoological neurology, I should say, for fun. So him and his partner, they were workman's comp orthopedic surgeons. Mm -hmm. And they were having like a 50% failure rate. And they didn't understand why, because, you know, with workman's comp injuries, you have a video, <laughs> right? Patient comes in and says, this happened, usually acute problems, you know, you chew it and they go away. 
So he went ahead and uh, came up with this motor reflex neurological test. It uses the same principles as like a platellar tendon test. Okay. But unlike anything else, it not only tells us which, uh, what structure is injured, but it tells us the hierarchy, which is unheard of. You know, um, chronic pain is so difficult to treat because mm -hmm. where the patient complains about is usually not the cause of the pain. Very true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But this totally eliminates that. This eliminates that hurdle. Right. So like, for example, there was a famous case where a guy came in with left median nerve pain. Right. Mm -hmm. And he does the motor reflex test and it's the right median nerve that comes out. So he totally ignores the left and he starts focusing on this and patients like, um, doc, this is the side that bothers me. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a and then without even asking permission, he would take the lidocaine and inject it. And the patients were like, well, what are you doing? He goes, let's give it a minute. Let's see what happens. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. a minute passes. He goes, how does the side feel? He's like, you know what? The pain is gone. I don't feel anything. He goes, yeah. that's right. This is the problem side, right? So then he would order the correct MRI. He would then order the correct surgery or the correct physical therapy or whatever the patient needed. And he went to over 90% in his success rate. It was very unusual. Mm -hmm. So that applies a lot to us because a neck problem, an SI joint problem. There's so many other things that can correlate, let alone dental and nasal problems. There's sure. so many other issues that can correlate with or mask themselves as a TMJ problem. So being able to have the ability to say, oh, this is an ascending problem. Your, your TMJ is just being aggravated by your clenching. Let's control that. But then let's also go and fix the problem that I think is really causing your, your discomfort. Um, and then that's how we can get to better success rates. Yeah. Because honestly, I am not interested in putting the patient on medication for the rest of their life. Sure. You know, yeah. and, and I do this every time I go to a conference or official pay conference and they talk about this new drug, you know, for migraine, I just raise my hand and go, so what you're saying is, that the patient has a deficiency in this tryptan drug, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. And like the room will laugh, but they're like, what are you going to do? So right, right, right. Well, sure. I know what you're going to well, do. You know? I mean, it, it, it's interesting because I, I try to look at both sides, but in conventional mm -hmm. medicine, that's, that's all that's in their bag of tricks. That's all that's in their bag, of, which is, which yes. is fine when you have um, an acute situation, an acute you know. emergency. Yeah. Sure. When you have an emergency situation, I mean, you don't go to a homeopath if you have a knife wound, okay? Right, <laughs> you go right. to the hospital. That's the only <laughs> thing you do, right? So we, we value them for this for that service that they provide. Sure. But at, at the same time, we have to understand their limitations. Sure, you know? sure. And sometimes when somebody's in an acute situation, I mean, I even have patients myself, they'll say, you know, should I take the medication? I said, you know what? From what it sounds like where you're at right now, short term, that's a good idea. Let's calm things down mm -hmm. and then let's really look at what's the root cause and, you know, what's yeah. really sort of driving, driving this from underneath. Yeah, that's right. I love it. I love it. So yeah. tell me, so do you do um, acupuncture and oriental medicine in your office? Yes, on almost every patient. Wow. Absolutely. Okay. So once we resolved the orthopedic cause of their neurological pain, if there is one. Mm -hmm. Then we do acupuncture and cold laser mm -hmm. uh, to, to help the patient along, you know, to get the pain to break. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and really? it, it's a wonderful adjunct to have because there are just certain things that we can't do in Western medicine. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, the other thing is just really, again, educating patients around the idea of getting that chi, getting that energy to flow. Mm-hmm. And if we stop, mm-hmm. if we get to stop the blockages That's and allow right. that energy to flow, then we can heal on, a, you know, we can heal ourselves, basically. Absolutely yeah. right. And, you know, what was really interesting was my first year in Chinese medical school, um, they would talk about how this acupuncture point would treat these five things. Mm-hmm. right? By unblocking the chi and balancing the, the body. And I would say, well, okay, well, what if there's only one of those five things that's off? What happens to the other four? And they would say nothing. I go, well, what do you mean nothing? How can you have it affect five things? And then you do acupuncture and it doesn't affect it, right? And they couldn't, they could, most of my instructors were very highly degreed, uh, from either China or Korea, and they spoke in Chinglish and Kinglish, and it was they were not used to being questioned, right? Sure. But I, like I said, I'm, I, I go, you're no better than me. I'm going to ask you, <laughs> okay? Right. Sure. So, um, and they didn't have an answer. Well, one night I was studying, and I don't know how I got to talking with a Native American elder, and she was so brilliant in the way she explained it. She said, the point of it is to balance. Mm-hmm. And if four of those five things are already in balance, you can't make it more balanced. It'll just be fine. Yeah. Right. And then like the light bulb, the light switch, yeah. all of that kind of like click for me. But I'm very grateful for her to ca- explain it to me. that way. And I turned around and then I explained it to my classmates because <laughs> they were in the same kind of boat as me. Like, how come it all, you know, sure. so, sure. so, so, yeah, no, absolutely. It's something that I integrate into what I do every day. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah. I have a, I have another question for you. Um, Please. So I'm, I'm originally from Boston. So that's where I, okay. that's where I was. And, okay. um, and it's interesting. I, I moved out to California for a short while, mainly because I just was hitting up against a brick wall when it came to just how conventional Boston was. It's starting, oh my God. It's Boston. It's starting to change a little bit, but it, I, it I, is. But Boston is one of the most old school. Air, oh my God! It's I like know. talking to a cement block with some <laughs> of these doctors. I I couldn't agree. And it, it's embarrassing. One one time I was at a conference, and the lecturer was an MD, PhD in sleep. Sure. Okay, and she couldn't understand why children with sleep apnea, when they resolve the apnea, gain so much weight. Right. And we're in a room of 300 people and like she, no one. So I raised my hand. I said, you know, um, children get all of their growth hormone from one stage of sleep, which is Delta. Mm-hmm. And when you have apnea, you get kicked out of Delta. Mm-hmm. So when you restore someone's sleep, we have something called a rebound, sure. which means all those stages like Delta and REM that were reduced now overblow by for a few nights before it normalizes back to what you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And I go, and that's the same as getting an injection of human growth hormone. Right. And it, and she thanked me profusely and it never done MD PhD, you know, in her seventies does sleep every day. It never dawned on her (laughs) from a functional standpoint, why restoring a child's sleep would induce a growth spurt. Sure. Sure. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's not because she's not highly intelligent, right? It's that whole, (laughs) it's the cement block. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, we only kind of go down the path that we, uh, that we know. And, and for me, um, again, I started questioning things very early on in my undergraduate and saying, 
you know what, this can't be the whole answer. And so it just kept me moving down, you know, multiple different trails, but they all, Mm -hmm. but they all connect, which is wonderful. Um, So anyway, my question about Boston is that I still have a number of clients from Boston. Do you do telehealth with people and, or do you have to fly out to you or how do you? Yeah, we have people that come in. Yeah. Yeah, we have, fortunately, like when you mentioned about um, our 65 center family and growing, we yeah. have centers in Boston and New Hampshire. We, we have a couple centers out there. So because what we do, we the, the motor reflex test that we do is so hands on. The appliances that we make are custom fitted appliances. Mm-hmm. It's I mean, I can give someone a bit of a heads up but I'm not going to really be able to uh, effectively help them uh, online. We can have a discussion and we can talk about pros and cons, but I'm going to be sort of limited in what I can do. Sure. Sure. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of do the, uh, like a a consultation in terms of, is this a a good way to go, but then somebody would fly out and work with you or uh, possibly can be connected to one of the other centers. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, because I, I can mm-hmm. definitely see application for, you know, s- certainly some of my clients and anybody listening to this podcast. So I've been in San Diego. I'm now in Austin, Texas, and I'm, I'm originally from Boston. So, <laughs> okay. So you live I'm in Austin coming- now? I do just by two weeks. Yes. Okay. Yes. Congratulations. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. But again, I've, you know, I've got a, um, a, a nice network of patients in the San Diego, LA area as well. So, and I know you're, you're right outside of LA, correct? Yeah. I have one office in LA and uh-huh. one office just North of LA on the way to Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thousand Oaks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's great. So, so Dave, give us three tips for people with regard to sleep disorders and other craniofacial disorders. What, uh, what three tips do you have for people today? Well, in, in looking for a doctor, mm-hmm. um, find someone that is functional based like you are, right? Mm-hmm. Find a functional orthodontist or a functional dentist that will treat. And, and even if you don't want to go to what's called a holistic dentist or a biological dentist, they'll usually know someone. Sure. That it, that does functional orthodontics. So that's my first round. Um, You know, the vast majority of children with crowded teeth Mm -hmm. do not need their bicuspids taken out. Hmm. They can have their palates and their mandibles developed to make space for all those teeth. The vast majority of them. Wow. Okay. There are a few that just, you know, yeah, but they're like, in my experience, one in a thousand you know, that don't, you know, that do need to have their, you know, uh, premolars taken. And I can tell you what kind how they present. Um, so that's one thing Two, uh, sleep hygiene, sleep hygiene is absolutely huge. Mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. to sleep in a dark room that's cool. Um, and away from EMF noise, mm-hmm. like you want to avoid the electrical outlets. I don't, we don't have a television in our master bedroom. We haven't in, I don't know how long. Um, I'm very much against it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My wife hates that, by the way, but I'm very much against it because you can never really turn it off, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, listen, I'm guilty to being on my phone, right? Um, so at night, so what I do is I wear a very dark blue blocker. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. it's dark outside, I wear the blue blocker. I don't wear it during the day, yep. um, but I wear the blue blocker and it, tells my brain that it's not daytime 
right? Mm -hmm. The brain, the circadian rhythm is based on the photons of light that come in through our eyeballs, right? Mm -hmm. So our eyeballs cannot tell the difference between a photon of light from the sun or from your iPhone, right? So when you're on your phone like this at night, when you're trying to sleep, you're telling your brain, it's actually not bedtime yet, right? right? And you can get what's called a circadian rhythm disorder change, which then... um, mimics insomnia Mm -hmm. right because these people can actually sleep six seven eight nine hours just not at bedtime (laughs) right Mm -hmm. so you know that's so getting making making sure it's dark and and having your eyes protected is great huge um i always tell people make sure your bedroom is a sacred space only for sleeping and sex nothing else amen so you yes you don't eat in your bed you don't have an argument in your bedroom. Mm-hmm. You don't do your work on a laptop on your bed. Mm-hmm. Your, your, your bed is your own space for just one or maybe two things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that other thing you're doing right before you sleep. Sure. Okay. <laughs> so, so it's just for that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, avoid sugary food. You know, you want to wait at least minimum three hours uh, before you go to bed to eat. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And actually having something savory like nuts or um, something that has a high o- protein and oil content is a good thing because it will sustain you throughout the night. Your, your brain uh, glucose will not drop if you have like something like that, almonds, whatever it is, sure. something with a good uh, fat content in it. Um, those are my biggest takeaways. I'm just trying to noise. Oh my God. It has to be quiet as just as much as it is dark. I did, I did a campaign about a decade ago about something I called secondhand snoring, right? <laughs> Where your bed partner snoring in apnea will reduce your sleep. Sure. And the Cleveland Clinic did a study with 1,100 subjects where they, uh, they did sleep studies on both of them in the same bed at the same time. And what they found was, uh, let's say it was the husbands that had sleep apnea. Uh, they found, so the, so remember I said earlier how arousals are caused in the inflammation and all the problems. So the husbands with sleep apnea and being very general had 27 arousals an hour. Whereas the spouses, the wives without apnea had 21 arousals an hour right? Mm -hmm. So of the 1100 subjects they started with, they ended up with 150 that stuck with the CPAP. Okay. And they didn't do follow-up studies on the spouses, but they asked them, how has your life changed since your spouse has been on the CPAP? And they're like, oh my God, I sleep through the night now. Everyone in my family says I have much better moods. I don't get headaches anymore. My, my diet is a little bit more curbed. I'm not as hungry as I was before. So there is this thing of, of getting, you know, so a noisy neighbor dog will, will cause just as much challenge as an arousal disturbance as, you know, a bed partner that makes a lot of noise. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely fascinating. This was uh, just fabulous. And I thank mm-hmm. you so much for being here today and sharing your wisdom. So how can people get in touch with you? So the very easiest way is our website, tmjla.com. Pretty okay. easy. You know, we have another, cause we have two offices. We have another website called tmjconejo.com, but they both go to the same spot. 
Um, And uh, yeah, uh, reach out to us, schedule an appointment, come in, let us evaluate you and see if we can be of service. That's really the best way. Okay, that sounds absolutely wonderful. And if you like this podcast, please rate, review, share with your friends, your family, your coworkers. I'm on a mission to really change the current paradigm of healthcare and mental health care. And you can find me at juliefreeman.net, on Instagram at juliefreemanmindfulwellness. Until next time. Brilliant.